Welcome to How to Trade It, The Road to Trading Mastery. Join Casey Stubbs, a seasoned trader, as he guides you to become a profitable trader. Find actionable insights, real-life stories, and strategies to boost your trading skills. Don't miss the journey to trading victory. Start listening now. Connect with us at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Trading profits are just an episode away. Welcome to the Cashflow Hacking Podcast, where we help people increase their cash flow. We do this by talking to the experts who have a proven financial strategy that has worked for them. We get the inside info with the smartest people by taking a deep dive, asking the right questions, and getting specific action steps that you can use. We study the experts who have defied conventional wisdom, who have unlocked the doors to greater wealth, and we share it with you. For those of you who realize that you're not yet at your full potential, you're underemployed, or you're simply looking to grow your cash flow, this is the podcast for you. Welcome to the Cashflow Hacking Podcast, hosted by Casey Stubbs. Hello, this is Casey Stubbs from the Cashflow Hacking Podcast, and today I'm on with Steve Burns from New Trader U, who is a investor and entrepreneur. Thanks for being on the show, Steve. Hey, thanks for having me, Casey. Today, Steve is going to tell all of us about how you can earn 15 to 20% a year by investing in the markets. Steve, thanks for sharing. And uh, what is the first thing that someone needs to know about getting started with making extra cash flow from the markets? First thing is just getting started. For, for most people, their employer allows them to have matching 401k uh, contributions. So if they're able to get a 401k going with their employer, uh, they can put money in their other paycheck every payday, and if they match, you know, you can get double your money right out of the gate. If they match 5% of your income, you put in 5%, they'll match it, so that's 100% return. So if they allow you to do that, that's a great place to start because you don't pay income taxes, you don't pay capital gains, and in some instances, you can have a match. So that's the best place for most people to start. So if you're actually putting in money and they pay you back, uh, that's really an immediate return and you don't even have to the stock doesn't even have to go up for that right 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 and then they may have you know it might be their specific company stock they match or it might be just uh, the money you put in there but that's something most people do not do i mean that's just free money that's the very first step if they have that opportunity okay that's a really good point and i think when you say most people don't do does that mean that they maybe have that opportunity but they're not aware of it like their company hasn't really published that information for all yeah to find out yeah, it's not something that people share or people even think about. I find most people don't think about finances as much as uh, as I do, and I found that's a very powerful tool very early on in my life as a place to start. If your company isn't able to do that, what are some other ways that you could probably get involved? Well, you can also do an IRA as well with your own personal account uh, where you can open it with a brokerage account where you can put money in and you don't have to pay income taxes on you know, the powerful thing about an IRA, even if it's not a 401k match, is you lower your income basis. If you're in your prime earning years, the government allows you to put away so much money in an IRA so you don't get taxed on that amount of money. You know, that's another step. You know, you just lower your tax burden in your on your income tax. And 
also you can also uh, you know get get gains in equities in addition to save money on income tax, and then you can grow tax free for as long as you keep your retirement account. Okay. Now, would you recommend that people stick within either the 401k or the IRA, or would it be beneficial for them just to open up a, a regular stock market account? First step is to match out your 401k if you are able to at your job. If you can't do that, you know, the next step is maxing out an IRA to avoid income taxes until you retire. Then I think after you do those two things, then you get a taxable account. Okay. Now, it, when someone's getting started out and they're they're going to go ahead and buy stocks, I think it could be very complicated or maybe create a lot of fear because they wouldn't know what to put their money into and getting concerned about the markets and if they lose money because uh, obviously when you're trading or investing, there's risk involved. So how would someone do that without taking on a lot of risk because you hear all these horror stories about people losing all their money? First step after those is you know the S&P 500 index. That is the index of the 500 strongest companies in the U.S. You know based on the S&P's metrics. So if you uh, buy the S&P 500, then you are getting a diversified portfolio instantly with all the different sectors and uh, the top 500 companies, which you know that's the safest bet you're going to make. That's something Warren Buffett also advises. So that's your next step is you just simply buy the SPY ETF, SPY, and then you instantly have equities and you have a great diversification across all sectors and the strongest companies. So that's a great safe place to begin with. Now, is there any fees involved with uh, purchasing the SPY? Do they take out like a management fee or anything yeah, like that? It, yeah, it's a very tiny, tiny fee. It's, it's far under uh, what a mutual fund would have. So it's a lot. It's not really a management fee because they're just trying to mirror the index. Okay. Now this index is very similar to a mutual fund. Is that not correct? Yeah, it's sort of like the uh, uh, an SP 500 mutual fund, but the fees are a lot less. Is there an actual um, person that's managing this, or how do they make the decision about who gets onto the who gets included with the S and P 500? Yeah, it's it's a process. The S&P as a company, they have a process for choosing who goes in and out. It's actually, if you look at the returns on SP 500 since its inception, it's one of the best systems because that's what it is, a system. But the system is built in a way to be successful because they automatically drop the stocks that go lower and lose market share and actually go down in price. They automatically take those out, and they automatically put in the up-and-coming stocks. So the S&P 500, you know, people say it's passive because people buy it and they hold it passively, but it's an actively managed index. And it, the process they use to manage it works because it automatically lets winners run and, and takes out losers. Wow, that's actually pretty interesting. I actually had no idea that they did it that way. I always thought of it as being the stock market and the, and the S&P 500 was the performance of the stock market. Do you know anything about when they make their changes, how often they do, do they publicize it? Yeah, yeah, they do. And actually, there's people that have systems built around trying to sell short the ones that go out and try to buy long the ones that go in before they go in because it creates buying power. But you know, the moment they announce it, it's, it's priced in pretty quickly because there will be no knowledge. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is a really good example of a system that works on a much simple scale. You know, they had uh, that started. Uh, they started with a lot less stocks, but ended up growing into 30 stocks in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. You know, the first stocks might have been, you know, cotton stocks and 
and railroad stocks and and different things for that time when they started and over the years you know they evolved into having apple and different ones so the doubt the stock when they say the stock market comes back after like 2008 it didn't come back with the same stocks you know the aig was removed Citigroup was removed the old gm was removed and new stocks were put in like craft and travelers group and uh and and you know it's interesting that uh, that you know they say the stock market doesn't always come back. The leader, the leading, they're always leading stocks come back in the stock market. There's always new technology, new business models, and those stocks are what drive the stock market higher. I think it's the Pareto principle with uh, 80% of returns come from about 20% of stocks. Okay, now this is really interesting because what I've always thought was that the stock market was a picture of our economic health, uh, and I think it still probably is that, but really this is – it's not a picture of economic health. It's just the best companies. If Whenever you're going to pick the best, obviously it's going to go up. Yeah, the end. Yeah, the stock market is more of a measure of the health of the earnings and sales growth of the company, publicly traded companies in the economy, and the index is – it's not the stock market. If you had a all stock market index and you included all the losers because a lot of stocks go companies go bankrupt they go private they go to zero you know it's the it's the winners that really drive the stock market the exxon mobiles the uh, apples the amazons those are the real drivers of the stock market you know there's all endless stocks that just go sideways or go down over over 20 year periods right so that is actually a great strategy to get started is just to use the S&P. Now, do you recommend that people just go with that, or do they need to diversify even further? See, the, an S&P 500 itself is diversified. It does contain all the sectors inside of it, and then each sector contains all the different stocks in that sector. So the S&P 500 is like the index is designed as a as a big cap portfolio in itself. Now, if people want to go beyond that, they can you know get some NASDAQ 100. There's some crossovers, but it has more of the biggest tech growth companies in the NASDAQ 100. Uh, you also can do small caps. Well, the, the NASDAQ 100 is QQQ ETF. The uh, small caps, uh, IWM, the Russell 2000, that would give you exposure to more smaller caps. And the Dow is a lot of is all crossovers in the SP 500, but it does have pure exposure to the mega caps. So, you know, the next step after the S&P 500 would be adding small caps, tech, and uh, different indexes would be the next step. Okay, well that's a pretty good uh, strategy. Now, right now the market is actually making some headlines because of it's been going down recently. There seems to be some bearish um, mindset and maybe some fear and some uncertainty. So, what do you think is going on right now in the market? And do you think that this is a, like a time that we should not be investing at all? Yeah, right now we went, we went into a it's about a correction across most of the market. Ten percent is considered a correction, and that happens on average almost every year. Sometimes multiple times in a year, a correction of a drop of about ten percent, uh, which the big caps aren't quite there. The Russell two thousand uh, has gotten there, and uh, most leading stocks are in ten percent correction. So that's not an unusual event. Uh, the the best filter for this is using moving averages and price. You know, if you always wonder, like, well, how do I get out for 2008 again or, two, or the 2001 drop? You know, what in the world? How do I time it? What do I do? And nobody can time the market. It's impossible. 
a very simple uh, strategy is simply using a moving average system. And for most people, the 200-day moving average is the best line in the sand for that. If your S&P 500 closes below the 200-day moving average, you can just go to cash. And then when it goes back over, you go back in. It could lead to volatility. You know, you get chopped out, you go back in, you get stopped out. It can happen a few times. But during 2008 or 2001, 2002, you know, when it goes under there, you'll be out and you won't be there for the rest of the, the bear market. So that's one way to just avoid it. It's not magical. It's just, you know, for prices to go into a bear market, they have to go on the 200 day moving average first every single time and you will be out at that point. So the 200, uh, moving averages are my best filters for uh, knowing when to to get in a trend on the upside and when to get out for a downtrend. Okay, and that's calculated based off of the daily price pattern for like the last 200 days? Yes, it's okay. a 200-day average of prices. And I've actually found in all my back testing his historically that the end of month 200-day almost times every bear market. You know, if, if you just – even the people that are buying hold investors just go to the last day of the month. If price is under it, you get out. If price is over, you stay in. That even filters even more the noise. And historically, that has been an amazing timing tool, you know, even doubling returns over buy and hold and decreasing drawdowns by half in a lot of cases. As you pulled that up, I just was pulling up a chart just to take a look at it, and it looks like we're just dropping below the 200 moving average right now um, on the daily for the mm -hmm. S&P 500. So. Does that indicate that we could be entering a, a prolonged bear market, possibly? Well, it could be. The first step's a correction, you know, 10% correction is, you know, that generally you lose a 200-day and then you fulfill the rest of the correction. But then a bear market will keep going. And in the case of a bear market, you will get out, you know, way earlier than the, the full bear market. So you'll probably miss, you know, 10 to 15% of the downside in most cases. You know, and if you go into a true long-term bear market, you're just being cash, and then when it closes back over, you'll be there. But that is the that is the best line in the sand I have seen. It's actually uh, Paul Tudor Jones. He hasn't had a losing year and is trading in uh, I think 30 years, and he says, you know, he, he his metric of the stock market is a 200-day moving average. If it goes below there, he gets out because things can crash, things can go to zero. He does not like long positions on the 200-day moving average himself. So that's a really good authority to. Uh, to, to uh, you know, take what I'm saying as well. Okay, I actually think that that's a great strategy, and uh, it's not that difficult to just take a look at a chart. You can go to tradingview.com if you're not familiar with looking at charts and just pull up uh, it's the SPY. Is that the correct symbol? Yes, and if you look at the, the Russell 2000, the IWM, uh, you can see how, how far it went after it lost the 200-day. Right, yeah. Now, that, that is the line in the sand you know, for uh, – for long term, it's it's not you know it's not a holy grail, it's not perfect, but it's a good strategy for people that want to move from buy and hold investing, you know, to some type of active trend trading. Now, based off of your experience, is it better to just go to cash when it crosses below two hundred, or would it be better just to continually to buy, hold what you have, and buy an ad, like using the buy and ad strategy? Yeah, the dollar cost averaging, you know, for my trading side, you know, I don't really I don't ever believe in adding to a losing position because you can add all the way down through 2008 or you can add to NASDAQ 100, you know, after the bubble crashes and it doesn't come back for uh, so many years. Uh, but for the S&P 500, I mean, it is a it is a potential strategy. You know, if you believe in the S&P 500 buy and hold, it, you know, eventually does come back. 
I would put all your money in cash on the 200-day moving average, and then you can start buying in your normal weekly buys if it's the 401k match or money you're putting in towards your retirement, you know, and buy, you know, just small amounts under the 200-day, not any large amounts. If that's something I did not do that, but that's just something other people can do. Okay. Now, earlier you had mentioned the 15 to 20 percent number of return potential uh, on a yearly basis. Is that specifically based off of this S&P 500 strategy, or is there anything else involved in that? The best way I've made money over the years, you know, and I'll post things on Facebook, you know, showing compound growth tables of capital, you know, and and tell people they really need to get started young and really need to invest in equities and and grow their capital and let it compound. And uh, people, you know, the endless negativity, and that's not possible. Where in the world do you get? I'll use an 8% compound table, and they'll go, where in the world do you get 8% return? You know, and all this negativity. It's like I've done that. I started putting money in at a young age. I uh, grew. I had my retirement account separate. I grew it slowly over years. I added money to it. You know, I had it in stocks, a lot of S&P 500 indexes. I did the tech. I was real heavy in the tech mutual funds in the 1990s, which worked out really well until March of 2000 before I had created systems for uh, exiting. But, yeah, if you grow an equity portfolio – I mean, you can increase the the most alpha comes from the best stocks. You know, if you can have an Apple in your portfolio during its run or an Amazon, one Amazon, you know, (laughs) solves a lot of sins if you have a portfolio of stocks. But it is important to have the strongest stocks in the market, the world changing companies, you know, Google's and Apple's and Amazon's and and the companies that do grow and continue. If you can just find a few of those, they can be life changing. And and even when you use them, I also suggest if you're going to do a long term system to to have moving average filters. Right. Okay. We were talking earlier about Amazon, the fact that they did have stock options and that as an employee of a company like that, you could do really well by just taking your your stock option as a little bit of a benefit and grow your cash flow that way if, you're, if your company does that. Yeah, for people that really want to get individual stocks, no, there's no better thing to do than in an industry that you're aware – that you're knowledgeable about. You know, the people working for Amazon, uh, you know, seeing their growth in sales and and believing that they could be the company that eventually broke through and became profitable and won. You know, if they had any free options for for stock options, they should have been gobbling it all up. Any Amazon employee that just got a thousand shares of Amazon are millionaires. I think once Amazon gets to two thousand, anybody that got 500 shares are millionaires. And if they had any kind of benefits from their company, equity is where the action is. You know, getting $15 an hour earning, selling your time for 15 bucks an hour is nothing like holding Amazon from $10 a share to $2,000 a share. You know, equity, anytime you have a chance for any kind of equity in anything, that's where the action really is. That's how Mark Zuckerberg, Warren Buffett, and, and Bill Gates become wealthy was owning equity in the companies that they controlled. Right, and isn't that what those guys on Shark Tank do, right? Those guys, yeah. when they, they pitch them and they say, well, I want X percent of equity in your company now. You want to own equity because you benefit from the growth of everybody else's labor and, and sales and earnings, and you own a share of all their effort. That's where it's at. You know, of course, uh, Kevin O'Leary loves to have cash flow with uh, royalties as well, he but equity is re- that's why <laughs> yeah. <it's a> shark. <laughs> yeah, equity equity is really where it's at. I mean, if you work for a company for forty years and you're an employee, you really want to own a piece of the equity in that company, and you can do that by just simply buying stock in your company. So when you're buying stock, it's not necessarily just making a gamble of any kind. You're actually 
getting a piece of ownership in that company. Isn't that how that works? Exactly. Yep. That's what is amazing that we're in a country where you can own a share of Amazon. You can, you know, any any point in time you can team up with Warren Buffett and Jeff Bezos and own a share of their company. I mean, it's incredible that people don't realize, you know, getting mad at capitalists or being jealous or angry at rich people, you know, why not participate in that game? It's it's amazing what what can happen. So if you see somebody that's really making waves in the business world, uh, like Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg or Warren Buffett or Bill Gates, all you have to do to be just like them <laughs> is to get it in on the action on what they're already doing. <laughs> yes, that's what people don't think about. You know, Edward Thorpe, one of the greatest traders you know, ever mathematical genius, and he just had incredible returns. One of the greatest money managers, Edward Thorpe. He recommended one of his best systems he ever found was simply buying and holding Berkshire Hathaway. That was one of his best systems because you have you basically have Warren Buffett working for you. Wow. Yeah. So now I just need to really think of uh, the next Amazon, right? Like, the, I guess maybe Netflix would be an example of that. They're not really making profit, but their stock is going up a lot because yeah, their earnings and- are going. And a lot of times you'll say, you know, you don't even have to find the next Amazon, Amazon itself, you know, if he doesn't split his stock, you know, much like Warren Buffett, he took Berkshire Hathaway, a failed textile mill into a insurance conglomerate that holding company. He took it from, I think he bought Berkshire Hathaway around 10 bucks a share or maybe single digits. And now it's worth over, I think, $200,000 a share. I mean, you don't have to find the next Warren Buffett. You could have invested with Warren Buffett for 40, 50 years. Right, exactly. Wow. So I just need to uh, really keep my eyes open on seeing who's doing what and then just take note of that. Yeah, and Amazon might be the next Berkshire Hathaway. They might, you know, they're at 1781 this morning. You know, they might end up, if they don't split the stock, they might be 10000 a share in five, ten years. Wow, yeah. I think that there's still a lot of potential growth of revenue oh, yeah. for that company. They've made a lot of progress in a short period of time, but really they're not even really that old as a company. No, that's what's always surprising to me. I think we're only 18 years out from the from the internet bubble. We're not really. It's not. These aren't old companies. These are companies that are 20 years old. Right. And speaking of the internet bubble, uh, that did take out a lot of uh, companies. There was a lot of dot com companies that went out. And so a lot of investors, if they weren't using some smart money management, could have gotten hurt in that time frame. Do you think anything like that could be coming up soon? Yeah, we could have a purge. I mean, we could see the social media where Snapchat may not make it and, uh, and Twitter may go on to be the next big thing and, and a, a big uh, a purge going in the tech sector with so many fighting right now. In all of your experience of investing and, and creating great revenue from stocks, have you had any um, challenges or major losses that really almost knocked you out of uh, your investing career? The one, the biggest hurdle I've had since starting was the the internet bubble. I mean, I I had too much beginner's luck in the, in the 90s where I started putting my money into. I was thought tech is the future. Everything's going to grow and be innovative, and tech is going to win the day. Tech's always going to win the day. So I started going into tech, you know, mutual funds, balanced mutual funds in the 90s. And uh, at one point, I had quadrupled my money, and I just kept putting in and staying aggressive. And then I started a little bit of trading in and out of the NASDAQ 100 as my metric and uh, and thought I had it all figured out. And uh, by 28 years old, I had enough money in my investment accounts uh, where I could have paid off my house had I chosen to at that time, which, you know, 28, you know, that was a big deal for me to think I've now made – instead of paying a mortgage for 30 years, I now have the capital to pay that house off. 
after that peak in March of 2000, I ended up having a 50% drawdown during the internet bubble as things didn't bounce anymore and things didn't reverse and things just started going down. So I did have a 50% drawdown from March of 2000 through uh, early through late late 2002, early 2003. That was my first painful experience. So how did you survive that uh, that drawdown? I kept waiting for uh, waiting for the market to recover and come back up to start putting more money into it, and I uh, started reading books voraciously to figure out what I had done successfully and how can I do it again. And I ended up reading hundreds and hundreds of trading and investing books, and then started finding learning metrics to use to actually have reasons to get in and get out. And that's where a lot of my moving average systems came from, and and uh, studying stocks and what stocks would be the best for alpha. And uh, I wasn't able to get back to even. I think it was like 2004, I got back to even in the market. And from there, it was pretty much a good straight shot with year after year of 15 to 20% returns for uh, several years in a row. And once again, I thought, okay, I've got this figured out, you know, following trends and being going to play the long side. And then in 2008, I had a bunch of bearish signals in 2008. So I ended up getting out and actually staying in cash with my primary account. I did do a little bit of work on some day trading in 2008, but my primary account, I went to cash, and I didn't, and was up 4% in 2008 in my primary account. That's pretty good. Hello, this is Casey, and I wanted to take a minute to tell you about my new book that just came out. It's called Complete trading system. This is my 25 years of trading experience sharing everything that I have learned in how to make a profit from the markets. You're going to learn about how to find the right instruments to trade, how to find a trend, how to get started as beginners. You're going to learn about how to get the right mindset and you're going to be able to put it all together to create a trading system of your own that will work for you. I highly recommend that you try it out. Just click the link right now. It's called Complete Trading System. It's available on Amazon. Thank you. Go ahead and check it out. I think you're going to love it. Considering that everybody else had lost a ton of money. Yeah, that was one of the better successes where I, what I learned from my drawdowns in 2000 to 2002 taught me how not to just hold through that again and not try to buy under the 200-day inequities and a lot of great lessons. So I was able to have uh, – it was between 20, 50 and 20% returns from 2003 to 2007, and then I went to cash in 2008 and then came back again and started going long in 2009. So – that was some two of the best lessons I had with those first two uh, decades. And we've actually been on a pretty nice run since 2009. Yeah, there's some great – 2012 was a great year again. I mean once you get to a point where you can compound larger capital you know, into larger and larger returns, it's incredible. You know, A 20% return in 2012 on the capital was a lot better than when I was starting out. So, so the whole point of the compounding method is – it's not really that exciting when it's um, when you're starting out. It's kind of small, but then once you get to larger sums, that that 20% gets pretty pretty large. 
Yep. Yeah. So it's and it gets more it gets more interesting as you get larger because you have to move things around. And you can't just keep you know trading with your entire account. Once you get financially independent, you've got to you know figure out what how much do I need to trade with and and how much needs to be tax deferred, how much needs to be taxable, and how much do I take out. So, but it's, it's good problems to have. Yeah, I think probably one of the biggest problems with people is that they don't make it to that that second tier. They might hit a couple years of twenty percent, and then something will knock them out, or they get distracted, or you know they have an unfortunate investing experience or whatever, but they just don't persevere until the later stages of the game. Yeah, it's it's definitely a wall you have to, and, and it starts with the psychology of position sizing and risk management. You know, you just can't trade too big and risk everything every time. You got to have good, consistent, you know, work on good, consistent, you know, small losses when you're wrong, when you're right, maximize a trend, you know, and really grow your capital and not squander it on. Uh, so too many people are too big on consumer spending when they're when before they before they really can, and they don't really ever have any capital to trade because. You know, they end up spending it all. I mean, it's crucial that people convert earned income into into equities and uh, and investments. Yeah, and that's what we talk about here on the Cash Flow Hacking Podcast on helping people increase their cash flow. And as a matter of fact, just um, last week, someone reached out to me on social media and they sent me a picture of the new truck that they bought with some of their earnings and it was investing earnings. And I thought it was really great that they could afford to get a new truck, but I <laughs> – I really felt kind of bad because I knew that they they just were starting in the game and they were kind of shortcutting their um their long term success by doing that. Yeah, and they don't understand, you know, the personal finance really has to be the first thing. If people are not going to have a chance in in trading or investing until they get their personal finances right, where they have the capital to do it, they go in undercapitalized, and like you said, they get a great win. And they uh, squandered the money into something instead of growing a trading account or growing an investment portfolio. They just buy a consumer staple that just uh, goes down in value like a rock. Right, like that guy that spent, sent me the picture of that truck. I don't know. It might have been a $25,000, $30,000 truck, but he doesn't realize that that truck actually could have cost him $10 million. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, it's funny. In real time, I tell people that in the uh, – when I was really young, I tell people that in the – in the early 90s, when people were cashing out 401ks or IRAs or profit sharing in their jobs, and when they're in their 20s, like, are you crazy? You could put that money into a, in, in, you know, trade that money, invest that money, and you could grow that over 20 years. You probably, and that's what I even said to one person. That new car cost you a quarter of a million dollars, just if you was probably in the S&P 500 on average. Right. Yeah. So you got to think of what the real cost is, not the cost of the product, but the future cost of what your earnings are you taking? What earning potential are you robbing yourself of by pulling that money out? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's something people never connect the dots on. They think they have to have a brand new car before they can really afford it or they got to take that cruise and need it to go on their vacation and uh and, and really, you need to be uh, – now, if you're matching for doing your full 401k match and you've got – you know, you're worth a million dollars, you know, yeah, you go get, do what you want to do. But, but you know, people doing things they can't really afford, but they think they can. Right, yeah. And uh, just because you have the money doesn't mean you can afford it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. I, I think that um, looking long-term is probably one of the things that people really need to pay attention to, which seems like you were able to figure that out. What What do you attribute to – helping you understand that it was a long-term game even when you were very young 
Yeah, I think I've always had a big math thing where I, I really enjoyed math. And the first time I actually saw a compound growth table of capital it really inspired me. I wanted to be that guy. You know, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be that, want to be 30 and look at, you know, six figure account and multiple six figures and keep growing it. And that's what was my vision. It wasn't to work at a job for 40 years or to, or to, uh, you know, have a go on fancy vacations or have a brand new car or Lamborghini. I wanted to just have the freedom to do what I wanted to do. And that only came with having enough capital in the bank to do, have enough money to do whatever you want to do. You might not be able to do nothing, but you can do whatever you want to do. I know that no matter what your desires are, having an extra source of cash flow can help you accomplish those. And I know for me, it's definitely being able to do what I want to do. Um, I actually stopped working a, a real job when I was 32, and um, that was about 10 years ago now. And I've been telling people ever since then that I'm actually retired. Even though I work every day, I still yeah. feel like I'm retired because I do what I want to do. That's what my, my wife always says. I feel like I retired so young, and my wife always says, "I'm not retired. We're self-employed. You know, we do things. We, uh, you know, I do actively trade, and I and I do have a, uh, a new trader you website. So I'm not retired. I'm just self-employed. Right. You're doing yes, but but see, the, it's a different kind of self-employment though, because some self-employment, if you're working in a business, you're still slave to the business, right? Whereas when you're investing, mm -hmm. you still have freedom to do what you want. You're not a slave to that. Yeah, and then this day and time, there's just so much opportunities for you know different ways to make money besides an employment. I mean, selling selling time is not the best uh, best use of uh, best ways to make money in 2018. Yeah, well, this has been a really great talk about investing in the market. I think I've learned a lot about uh, the S&P 500. I'm going to take a look at some of my investing strategies and take a look at maybe making some adjustments because I think that the S&P 500 is just a no-brainer because they're doing all the work for you by <laughs> coming up with the perfect portfolio. Yeah, looking at the returns, it looks like, like this is an amazing trading system or, you know, and it's S&P 500 if you look at the returns and the drawdowns and uh, you had a moving average in there to filter out bear markets and you've got something and it's actually something Warren Buffett in one of his video interviews on YouTube actually uh, advises people that he'd have he'd done really well if he'd bought the S&P 500 when he was young. Yeah, he probably would have even been richer than he already is, Yeah, <laughs> which is hard to imagine. <laughs> Yeah, so he actually is endorsed by Warren Buffett as well, so that's some great endorsements for yeah. – uh, He knows what he's doing in the markets. Now, Steve, you are an author of many books, uh, and I think I saw that you had a new book come, just recently come out. Can you tell us a little bit about your writing and your, your books that you've produced? Yeah, after I read hundreds of trading books, I actually at one point was the most helpful author, on, um, most helpful uh, reviewer on Amazon of actually reviewing trading and investing books. So I thought, you know, I thought I really wanted to write one, so I started writing uh, trading books and had some had some really good successes with it. Uh, uh, New Trader Risk Trader is one of my my best and most popular ones. Uh, really, you know, telling the principles of successful trading, and uh, I've got about I think twelve books right now. And uh, what's the most recent one that you've just put out? I think the last one was New Trader Rich Trader 2. It's an actual revised edition of uh, my first sequel. I have New Trader Rich Trader, then I have New Trader Rich Trader 2, Good Trades, Bad Trades. So I reissued uh, that, that redone. They're both on Audible. They're doing phenomenal on Audible. That seems to be the future of uh, of a lot of the books. So uh, they're sort of narratives uh, written in entertaining style to talk about the principles of uh, – 
rich traders and new, new traders versus what rich traders do. And the second book is, you know, good trades versus bad trades. I actually love Audible. So now that I know that it's gonna, that your book is on Audible, I'm going to get it for sure. Yeah, the first, the guy that the art narrator does a phenomenal job. Yeah, I uh, am working quite a bit, and I love to read, but because of a busy work schedule, it's almost listening to it like in a car ride on the way to work makes things really go well. I really enjoy that. Yeah, I think New Trader Richard, I think it has like uh, 68 reviews, 4.8 review score, 68 reviews. Excellent. Well, I'm going to leave a, a link to the book below the at, this episode. So in the show notes, if you guys are listening and you want, you can just go ahead and go to the Cashflow Hacking Podcast website and, and download or uh, click to the link to buy the book. Uh, Steve, also, you have a website. It's called New Trader U. Who would that benefit for? And uh, tell us a little bit about your website. Yeah, New Trader U is really uh, it's designed just to help a new trader have somewhere to start with, you know, and avoid uh, just charlatans and all the BS in the trading world, you know, and really have a good start with the keys of the right psychology of trading, you know, risk management and, you know, creating your own signals and system. That's what I focus on. You know, it's a lot different than all a lot of the other uh, stuff out there. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. So I'm sure that there's probably a picture of you instead standing in front of your Lamborghini um, <laughs> telling everyone to follow your signals. That's hilarious. Yeah, no, it's more of the uh, financial independence is the goal, not the Lamborghini. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Steve, thanks for being on the show. You've shared some great actionable strategies about getting involved with the markets to earn up to 15% or to 20%. Uh, he shared about how to use compounding to your benefit. He shared about how to take advantage of your 401k and to get free money through matching. So some really great strategies that, Steve, you've shared today. And so if you guys are listening, just take some action. Write some things down and take action because everything happens by taking action. So thank you so much for being on the show, Steve. Oh, great to be here, Casey. You have been listening to the Cashflow Hacking Podcast. Thank you. I hope that you will take some action steps on the information that you've learned in today's episode. It is critical that you don't just learn, but that you actually do something about the information you learned. Go back and listen again and write down what you're going to do about what you learned today. It just might change your life. If this podcast was beneficial to you, please go to iTunes and search Cashflow Hacking Podcast and leave a review. Also, if you want more financial tips and wisdom and you want to interact with me directly, you can always follow me on Twitter. Just search for Casey Stubbs. Thank you for listening to the Cashflow Hacking Podcast. for tuning in to another insightful episode of How to Trade It with Casey Stubbs. We hope you found today's discussion valuable and inspiring. Remember, the road to trading mastery is a continuous one, and your commitment to learning and growing as a trader is the key to your success. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes, please reach out to us at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Keep listening, keep learning, and keep trading your way to victory. Until next time.